0: The D2C Growth Show.
1: All right, welcome back to the D2C Growth Show, where each episode we interview founders and marketers from the most exciting brands in the world. Today on the podcast, we have Christy Knowles, leading with equal parts grit and grace. Christy is deeply committed to Mother Raw's mission to encourage more people to eat more plants. Rooted in over 25 years of experience with big companies, she's steering Mother Raw into over 5,000 stores across North America while learning what it's like to be small and scrappy. We're so excited to have you, Christy. So to, to start us off, I was wondering if, if you could just introduce yourself a little bit to our audience and what's the mission that you're building with Mother Raw?
2: Yeah, sure well first of all thank you for having me I loved the, the opportunity to talk about uh, the brand and what we do so this is right this is right up my alley um, in terms of uh, myself um, I um, have about 30 years oh my goodness of uh, sort of classical CPG consumer package goods uh, marketing and sales and strategy experience and I um, And as well, alcohol beverage. So my last role was uh, Mm -hmm. in in alcohol beverage, and I I was responsible for innovation amongst other things. And um, in 2018, I made a really big switch in my career. And uh, I started with a very small um, but scrappy uh, company uh, that is called Reunion Foods. But the brand Mm -hmm. that we have under Reunion Foods is Mother Raw. So I can't wait to get into the story about how we, uh, the birth, let's say, of Mother Bra.
0: Awesome. And like, what, why make that switch, I guess, from like big CPG, because they're so different. Mm -hmm. Why make that switch, I guess, from working in like the the CPG world to like more of a scrappier brand? Like, was it um, just kind of a change in scenery? Was it just you just needed a different challenge? Like, what was, I guess, like the inspiration behind that change?
2: Yeah, sure. It was a sort of a confluence of a lot of different factors. But Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I really wanted to have an opportunity, you know, to have a direct and immediate impact on Mm -hmm. the business. And when I say that, I mean in the context of a large company, it's just by nature of the organizations. There's a lot of complexity. There's a lot of uh, people who need to weigh in on decisions. Mm-hmm. And things just take slower and longer. And uh, I'm a person who has, you know, lacks a little bit of patience and um, and, and really wanted to be in a, in a kind of in a place where I could, you know, help an organization move faster, take mm-hmm. smart risks at a more rapid rate. Um, Listen there's awesome things about both bigger organizations and smaller organizations. What I love about uh the bigger organization is you have more people to spar with, to talk through ideas, mm-hmm. to you know generate new thoughts and so I do miss that aspect of it um as well as the resources, you know, listen they you know there's bigger budgets and sort of more opportunity to to, to maybe do um some bigger things. But what I love about this smaller organization that I'm in now is that we can be scrappy, that there's no sort of levels of decision making that everyone in the business sees their direct impact on the business, and no job is too small for anybody to do. So I've you know, I've learned so much about um, about all areas of the business that I just wouldn't have had an opportunity uh, to do so in a bigger company.
0: Yeah, and then what were some of those? I guess, like key skills, because you mentioned you worked in innovation, so there's a lot of creativity behind that, um, especially when working for a bigger brand. But, like, what were some of those key skills that you had um, working in, like, the CPG space that you're able to bring over um, to work on scrappier brands?
2: So, you know, a lot. Like I, I have, I'm, I'm fortunate that I have a big treasure chest of experiences from my my um, my CPG years. So you mentioned innovation. Well, innovation has many stages, from the front end concept creation, ideation, all the fun part, and then it also has all of the complexity of the commercialization phases. And so um, I'm very familiar with front to back and the skills necessary to get from that idea through to execution. And I appreciate what it takes. So I don't set, you know, false expectations. Oh, we can do this in a month. Well, I know that there's regulatory involved and I know that, you know, there's new ingredients that need to be ordered. So You know, innovation is 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 one place where I've definitely been able to kind of leverage that experience. Um, Also, you know, brand building, uh, just at its very core. When I started with uh, with this company, there was a different brand, um, and and it's we a big chore, a big you know a a big effort uh, needed to take place around rebirthing that brand for showtime, let's say. And so I was able and I we can talk more about that, but I was able to bring my just, you know, my basic understanding of the why, the what, the how, the brand mission, all those kinds of things in order to, to eventually have launched Mother Raw.
0: Yeah. Okay, so on the topic of like rebranding, what was the inspiration behind the rebrand for Mother Raw? And like why why a
2: rebrand in the first place? So just by way of uh, background if, if it uh, maybe this will help yeah um, so originally the born well, the sorry the brand was uh, created as raw foods that was the name of the brand and it was created by the original founder Michelle Kotman. Her inspiration was why can't my salad dressing be as healthy as my salad? You know, basically, mm-hmm. she and she came from a holistic nutrition background, and so she created these, you know, a bunch of salad dressings from her, you know, from her kitchen originally, sold them at craft at, at you know farmers markets, and um, and branded them raw foods, and um, it was at that point that I I, I came in to help with. How do we make this brand accessible to more people? She realized herself that, that you know she wasn't a branding expert per se. Mm-hmm. And so I came in to give some advisement um, and and discuss the opportunity to take what was a brand description, raw foods, and not particularly an appetizing you know proposition, mm-hmm. um, and not something that and something that was very, if it wasn't, f- if if you wanted to do a beverage, you couldn't, right? Because it was raw mm-hmm. foods. And we just discussed mm-hmm. the this idea of of how do we take the genesis of her brand, which was all about clean ingredients and deliciousness, and package it into a brand that had a greater purpose and ha- it resonated with more people, basically. And um, that's yeah, that was sort of that's where this idea of let's 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 re almost repackage the proposition.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, and I mm-hmm. it's, it's I find that it's it's such an it must be it must have been such an interesting process for you, especially as Michelle started off in these kinds of like very homegrown community oriented kind of farmers market and stuff like I feel like that almost creates more barriers to a rebrand because the people who know you so well and know you kind of more deeply and intimately, they say, say, than had you originally launched in the grocery store. So, for a scrappy brand like that, like what does that process look like, and what's a challenge that you that you may have not been anticipating that you saw in that process?
2: Uh yeah, it's very, very true. About how do you sort of maneuver right from mm-hmm. one to the other in an elegant way that that is true to the brand, and that, and again by way of background, uh, a few months into me. Um providing you know some consultation to to Michelle as uh, she passed mm. away. Mm. And that was uh, you know obviously devastating to to everyone, um, including her family uh, and and her her fans. She was a real trailblazer in this area of organic, natural clean ingredients. and so that was a moment in time where uh, I, I decided. You know, I was asked to by the venture capital uh, group, who was already mm-hmm. part of Raw Foods, to jump in and 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 lead from the front. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I did that, and that made it more tricky, obviously, mm-hmm. because there was just so much emotion wrapped up mm-hmm. in in the evolution of the brand. But the way that we did it was uh, by being very inclusive. So, we included her daughter, uh, who was very close to her, and was in the kitchen doing product development with her. You know, so we we did things like that that felt appropriate, uh, uh, but beyond uh, uh, appropriate. You know, it just allowed me to do it in a way that felt really. I felt like it was validated all the way along that it was respectful of the original proposition. Um, we did it with an agency who I very much value uh, be, you know with with our precious little baby, right? And I, and so mm-hmm. it was an agency that I was very comfortable with leading the charge and I brought the management team and the board, everybody along for the journey at the appropriate mm-hmm. points in time. So there was no no surprises. it was really clear. and um, and really listened to people's input. And we started, I remember our first, meeting with the agency was in a you know in a board room just really discussing like what what is this proposition what is really behind this this brand and we started with articulating the brand's mission and promise and beliefs Mm -hmm. and we went from there
1: no that's incredible and it's we've been having a lot of really wonderful conversations with other founders about future proofing products and how hard that is just in in and of itself But thinking of the additional layers that you went through as well of like, how do you future-proof like this brand to speak to as many people and be as inclusive as possible as well as, you know, tackling the challenge of like, how do you preserve Michelle's legacy? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like you could write a book on that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I think it it was just all done, you know, very transparently. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you know, we have a business to run. And so it was okay how do we make this proposition, at, like, to future-proof it, how do we make this mm-hmm. proposition as large and inclusive as possible without sacrificing you know, our parameters and our, fact, and our beliefs? And that's why we started with, we didn't start with the brand name Mother Raw, we didn't start with the products, we started again with the mission and the values and the beliefs. And out of that came a really, you know, one, one of the, the values of our brand is keeping it real. Mm. And that links to raw, it, le- it links yeah. to the product proposition of minimally processed, but it also links to how we approach our communication. So mm. as opposed to saying we are a vegan brand only for vegans mm. or, you know, we're an allergen friendly brand only for allergen friendly people. Mm. We said we're not going to we're not going to put ourselves in a box or or more importantly, our consumers in a box, and tell them what they should do. And, you know, mm. we're going to say, hey, we're going to keep it real. We're plant-based. We're organic. We're all these good things. So you don't have to worry about it. Anybody can enjoy us. We would love if you, if you, you know, if you considered a plant-based diet. And if you don't, this is still a really mm. great option. Yeah. And so that was... Part of the future proofing was moving away from hard-hitting language around using vegan as the example to plant-based. Like That was an initial shift we made very early on because more people can wrap their arms around the idea of eating more plants. Fewer mm-hmm. people can wrap their arms around veganism. And I'd rather people take small steps than no steps at all. Mm-hmm. So... Um, you know, but that value of keeping it real and the value around um, independence is another value of ours where we don't want to follow fads and trends. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to say a couple of our products, for example, include some coconut sugar, you know, very small mm-hmm. amounts.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But if we took that coconut sugar out, we could say we're keto to everybody. Mm-hmm. But it's, right. it's not what we're chasing. We're not, you know, we didn't say our value is Keto. Mm-hmm. you know our, and so we we we've chosen at this point not to sort of jump into that we have offerings that are keto but we're mm-hmm. not going to sacrifice our independent thought around taste prevails and that's why mm-hmm. we have a little bit of sugar and a little bit of you know of our varieties because we want to we want to stay true to what's important to us and that's it's got to taste great and we wanna encourage you our products encourage you to eat more plants. That's that's mm-hmm. it.
0: Yeah, I really um I was gonna say I'm gonna jump in. I really enjoy just like how you explained like the concept of the rebrand and especially when you're rebranding, I feel like you have to be very careful in that process. And I'm very curious, like how did you ensure and I know you kind of talked about it a bit, but how did you ensure like a successful rebrand, especially when people have known it as something else? Like how do you, Mm. I guess, during that process, you know, change consumers' minds, like if they're used to saying or thinking of it as a certain name or a certain value proposition, like how do you ensure that that's successful and now they know it as Mother Raw? Yeah, Uh,
2: so we, you know, managed that transition very accurately Actively, and, and you know to, to it didn't we just didn't turn off one and turn on the other for example mm-hmm. well we sort of did on Instagram because that's the only option we had but yeah <laughs> but um, first of all the community of very vocal loyal fans um, we it, it was very Toronto based and 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 so we leveraged Michelle's community that we knew, and that her daughter knew, and uh, and and had open conversations with sort of the, the most vocal, highest influencing group. Amongst them, to say, "Hey, we know you worked with Michelle on this, or we know that you you know you you love Michelle and what she was doing. This is what's happening." And we were we had stakeholder lists of people who we wanted to reach out to and not surprise. Um, the other way that we did it was we told Michelle's story, right, we, we you know, obviously respecting uh, her family, but this was Michelle's, uh, this was Michelle's vision. You know, what her, her, what she wanted most was to have her, her products and this proposition more widely available. And this is why we're doing this. And most, we, we didn't get one negative comment most, you know, any feedback that we heard about the rebrand itself was super positive. We made, the other thing that we did was we adjusted the recipe. So I brought in a professional product developer who was uh, able to work with these, you know, super clean, fussy ingredients. Like it's a lot easier to cover up things with highly processed ingredients. So I brought somebody in who, um, who could, could take the product and, and 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 make it, again, just more yummy for more people, basically. And I was worried about that, too. You know, you're used to the Japanese dressing the way it was. Uh, again, though, we were so, like, we were very confident that it was a step improvement. And we did friends and family panels that involved fans of hers. And, you know, so, again, very kind of inclusive. And because it wasn't... S- It was clearly an evolution of the proposition. It wasn't, it it was not, there was nothing shocking about it in terms of, wait a minute, now everything doesn't contain extra virgin olive oil, it contains soy oil or soybean oil or, oh my gosh, like these don't use the unfiltered apple cider vinegar, they just use distilled vinegar. There wasn't any of that. So I Mm -hmm. think... I think it was just staying true as true to the proposition and recognizing the stakeholder, like stakeholder engagement was, and that's a, that's something I learned a lot about in big companies was, you know, you actually have a stakeholder engagement strategy for, you know, various mm-hmm. initiatives because there's so many stakeholders where in this case, it didn't, wasn't overwhelming because there wasn't, a, it, it was, it just wasn't that overwhelming because I sort of knew how to maneuver through that to some, you know, to some degree. And, um, and it, it worked in this case
1: yeah, I love your your company values of like keeping it real and not sacrificing the quality in in your mission of your brand for trends and stuff that just might make you slightly higher on the shelf for a season or two because it it makes me think back to a conversation we had with another guest Sam Lovingson, where her one of her core missions and stuff with her brand Dom was like kind of reinventing people's uh, relationships with routine. And What okay. I love about Mother Raw is that when you are so inclusive in the way that you rebrand and that you look back at your product development and launch other other products and stuff like it's that inclusivity helps consumers like myself adopt you into my routine because I think one of the most heartbreaking experiences for a consumer that's finally you know stepping out of like the very very ingrained kind of like food systems that we were brought up with is that you finally find this product and stuff that allows you to be empowered into a healthier community and a better routine. And because the the corners that were cut and like the when when companies, you know, chase those trends and it's not sustainable and then mm-hmm. can quickly fall out of my own lap and stuff, not going back to the grocery store and not being able to find them and being really lost then in my routine. You know, like that's mm-hmm. I find yeah. So it's a worst case, worst case scenario, especially as we're trying to break out of, you know, maybe like unhealthy kind of like food relationships, trying to find products like yours.
2: And I love that you said that because one of the things, another value of the brand is there's, there's four of them. Of course, I'm gapping right now on the fourth, like the actual <laughs> word, but the third is uh, playful. And what we say is we take our product very seriously right Mm -hmm. like it's organic certified organic it's non-gmo gmo Mm -hmm. GMO, non-gmo certified it's kosher Mm -hmm. certified it's right Mm -hmm. so everything is done really seriously but the way we present ourselves like we Mm -hmm. do all that so you can be playful with it so we can give you recipes and tips and you can enjoy it without worrying because there's so much of this sure it's organic kind of you know converse oh sure it's clean Ours, you, uh, you know, listen, if you can't pronounce or you've never seen the ingredient before um, or it wouldn't be, it doesn't have a place in your kitchen cabinet, it would never be in our product ever. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's, it's, it's the, the reason that we can kind of have that playful vibe as a brand is because we like, we take the product so seriously. So you don't have to. Mm, love I
1: love that. Yeah. And so it's kind of speaking of play, I think that works perfectly into our little pivot here. Um, you and I finally got to meet at what is realistically kind of called in this industry as like the Super Bowl of like <laughs> natural foods conferences at uh, Expo West. And I was reading back, at, I was reading an, a Forbes article about this, like after the show, because I feel like it took me a while to really kind of understand. I was like, what did I just experience? <laughs> right? They said, you know, in the forty years of the show, this is one of like the the largest ones, sixty thousand people flying in you know over three thousand brands brands coming in spending anywhere from 15 to 90 thousand dollars like usd to just bring their brand to the show it was like it was like every every arena was like walking into a carnival (laughs) I'm, i'm curious and stuff like has a as you know like as a business servant and stuff like i have one perspective but as like a business owner like yourself with a brand like what was that experience like for you and like what is the goal for a team like yours when you go to a show like that
2: so you're right expo west is one of a kind and it is it, it's like food porn like oh my goodness right it's and it's not just yeah. food it's beauty it's everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a great question, and this is very going to be an answer that's very specific to my business. Um, so the goal for Expo West, the reason that we were there was from a media influencer uh, perspective, mm-hmm. more so than anything else. you have media coverage there, you know you have influencers who are walking the floor um, It's also to shake hands with the senior folks from the retailers. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. it gives you that sense of largeness. The ROI on it for our business Mm -hmm. is is not there, let's call it, for showing up every year. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is a lot of brands are there because their buyers might be there. There are grocery, like the retail buyers who buy their category. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, you know, the bigger, like big, smaller brands, I should say, would be there for investors, right? So to meet Mm -hmm. with investors, to woo sort of investors, great place to do that. We weren't, we, we aren't in that phase right now. So that wasn't our objective, but um, I have, you know, other friends and colleagues, uh, CEOs and, and food founders who went for the investors. Uh, some of the big organizations go in order to get, uh, they have retailer meetings there. So they're able to meet with like mm. a whole buying group with their wholesale team and sit down. You rent out these conference rooms upstairs, you know, four floors up mm. and, uh, and they have these meetings. And so it really, you know, each company is there with a different objective. For us, it was really about launching our dips and having all of our, our range of dips there and sharing those with media and influencers. Where we actually get our buyers um, at the table, so to speak, at a at a, a show, mm-hmm. is uh, produce shows because Mother Raw mm-hmm. is a refrigerated product, and we're, mm-hmm. our buyer is the produce buyer. Mm-hmm. This is this has been a really big learning for for us because um, produce buyers like it, they ha- I was at a big show in Montreal for mm-hmm. produce so you talk about the big booth well Dole was there with the big booth and Del Monte was there we don't kind of mm-hmm. think of, of of that like oh right. yes of course that would you know their buyers would be produce but produce is branded. And so um, that's where we have the most robust opportunity to meet directly with our buyers, and that's where we focus our trade show and event dollars most mostly.
1: It's incredible. I wonder if maybe the the budding design students are getting it all wrong because, like, you're so right. It's like these. There's so much action. There's so many learnings that happen at these shows, and I feel like a lot a lot of people don't see food in the way that we see food like it is such a complex system it is such a tough business you know to like to grow in you know like i i i am on instagram and i'm seeing so many incredible like design students emerging and they're talking about like their dream their dream show to go to is like be in paris or milan for fashion week and stuff see the displays see the level of organizations and i almost want to tell them like
2: look at food
1: Look at Look the amount at food of food and alcohol. <gasps> yeah, truly, alcohol
2: it's like, is having worked at you know Molson cores and yeah. when they when alcohol companies put on shows for their distributor. So in the U.S., all alcohol oh, yeah. goes through distributors. Mm. It's it's or the shows in probably Las insane. Vegas, like the new yeah, yeah the new innovation, show, it is insane. And there's there's a lot so many aspects to it that there's a lot of ways to get in and make money if you know as as in as as, a, as a, and, and learn
1: yeah and i'm curious to to get your perspective on this because i feel like with you with 30 years you know like in this industry <laughs> it feels like it sounds like you went from having all this rich experience as a goliath and Transitioning when you went over to Mother Ron's stuff of becoming the David, were there any trade-offs of tools that you wish you still had from being kind of in that beverage industry, or were there any surprises that you found that be, did become like your secret weapon and stuff when you did emerge as like a David?
2: Yeah, well, that's it. Uh, every ask almost has a double-edged sword. So, um, what, so the thing that I'm missing the most is data and insights uh mm-hmm. it costs a lot of money to get gain gather uh data on store sell through consumer data mm-hmm. uh, you know, consumer insight and all all laddering up to insights right actionable mm-hmm. insights it's like okay it's good to know i'm growing at plus three like plus 35, um, that's, that's nice to know Mr. Produce person or, you know, produce person. But what's the category growing at? And was that mm-hmm. the last four weeks? Like you don't get, I, don't, I can't buy ongoing sufficient data from the various sources that used to just be part of what we had in our arsenal mm-hmm. or to do the kinds of con- one-off consumer research you know, that I, I'm, I'm used to to being able to do. That said, there is a gift to that to some degree because A, there's not the expectation that you're going to have all that rich data and therefore teams to mine it all in, when you're smaller, right? Like the, there's the buyers tend to be, a little like more forgiving if you have access mm-hmm. to all the data and you're not providing value to them and helping them manage their categories and, and they're or providing really good fact-based selling decks you know mm-hmm. why you should t- so there's a bit of you know it's not sometimes it's not so bad not to mm. have everything because the expectation then is that you have everything and that can be hard too because there's, once you get it, there's a, a ton of time sucked into really, uh, you know, get, getting your teeth into it. So that's the one thing, though, like, how are you doing in the last three months? Well, I know how I'm doing at XYZ, but I don't know how my category's doing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how I'm doing at the other accounts because we're only looking at shipment data, which is very bouncy and noisy. So it's not a very satisfactory response, right? Like, how are you doing? Well, I think we're doing okay because, you know, we find our way to figure it out. But data is the, the big one. And then the other one I already mentioned is, 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 is not money. Well, everything sort of comes down to money-driven, but it's not the dollars per se. It's just the access to more minds, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I miss like I, I, in my last role, I had an innovation team, I had a strategy team, I had an insights team, I had the marketing team. You know, and it was just always some some place that you could go and spar mm-hmm. and hear hear other people's you know get other people's point of view. But I find that I I spend you know, some time alone to go, okay, what should I do? Hmm. Talking to myself, especially during COVID. Um, And so I've had to find other ways to access that type of, you know, that, that type of network.
0: Yeah. In terms of just branching off from that, um, we talk about like data, and I guess just like success in terms of like sales from products. Is there like a certain channel, whether it's like retail or e-commerce, that is more of like a focus for the brand, or that drives more success? Because um, every brand is different. Like we talked to some founders are so super focused on retail; another is more focused on the e-commerce space. So curious how that, I guess, breakdown works for your brand.
2: So, by nature of our brand being refrigerated. And in 100% recyclable glass packaging. Uh, e-commerce is very tricky, so we do have our own Shopify sites. We are connected to other online, you know, shopping forums, but f- the reality is, you know, 95% of our business remains in retail, and mm-hmm. um, and that's where our focus is.
0: Okay, is there like? A world where you'll try to focus more on like the e-commerce space, or just kind of primarily building out the retail environment.
2: Uh, I, I would love to have more opportunity <laughs> to to be online. Uh, until the economics work both for us and the consumer, it's pretty tricky. And uh, an obvious solution would be well you know, take your dressings and dips to shelf stable in a plastic container. But like we talked about earlier, you know, our mission is, 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 is linked to being like the best least processed, quality, you know, in that, in a category. Yeah. And for us right now, that's refrigerated and plastic, unless we can find a really truly recyclable plastic that is also affordable glass is where we're going to stay. So, um, it would take us going into new categories, which yeah. is something that, you know, we built this brand to be stretchy, to be able to go into different categories. Mother Raw is a belief. It's a mission. It's not a product. So that would be our most likely avenue into e would be if we enter into a category that's conducive to it.
0: Okay. And is there, cause that's actually a question I wanted to ask after in terms of expansion, like, is there, I guess, thoughts, maybe if you're trying to touch more into the e-commerce space to like branch off into different categories, is that something you guys are thinking about or like have ideas, not sure kind of what you can share, but just if you can kind of give us like a little snippet of that, mm-hmm. like whatever you can share.
2: So we definitely have an innovation pipeline and ambition I think it's uh, we've just launched our dips, and it's actually dips, quesos, and aiolis. So the first sort of aioli, uh, what first that we've seen uh, aiolis that uh, aioli dips, and so very new, right? And the and the mm-hmm. thing is, is we get very excited about oh we just launched this and what's next. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, it takes time to get on shelf, so mm-hmm. it's. Yeah. Although that, although we've launched them and they're on shelf in some places, uh, I think we've got two thousand stores now. But we have, as a brand, five thousand stores of dressings. So a long way to go. So mm-hmm. just, just the caution on, as founders, we must must pace ourselves <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because innovation is expensive and a lot of it fails. Right, it just mm-hmm. does. Um, but uh, in terms of innovation, you know our. Our trademarked uh, tagline, let's call it, motto, is put good on good. Mm -hmm. So we put real food, i.e. like a lot of dressings aren't really food. Like they're Mm -hmm. they're something else. There's some concoction that Mm -hmm. you would never make in your kitchen, right? Yeah. And same with dips. Like a a lot of the, uh, you know, mm, onion dips out there, let's say, are, you know, like look at the ingredients. So our motto is put good on good. And so that can take us to a lot of places as a brand, you Mm -hmm. know, condiments across the board, right? As an example, because usually you're putting condiments on your food. Um, Mm -hmm. It could be, you know, sauces. Um, It could be all kinds of, you know, all kinds of things. So Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're absolutely, we're very fortunate um, that we self-manufacture. So we have our own facility, our own Mm -hmm. awesome Uh, production team who uh, we've maintained 100% service levels through COVID uh, on time and in full because of this team. And so uh, they are working with us every day on not just producing what we have, but helping us in the test kitchen and and test piloting uh, new stuff that we're creating. So we're excited about it, but we're also going to pace ourselves because each innovation takes money and time and we become impatient with repeating mm-hmm. our messages. As, but as marketers, we know, mm-hmm. we might hear something a hundred times, consumers are not hearing it a hundred times, right? And, and, yeah. and you just have to be persistent. Mm-hmm.
0: but it's great you have that background though in innovation I feel like that's just such a huge asset to the team just that you came from that background even if it is for like larger CPG companies but to be able to apply that to Mother Raw I feel like it's like game changer and just such a huge asset to the company because it is super difficult because even if you're in a bigger brand you're dealing with like newer products so they're Kind of like you have to be sort of scrappier in, in, that, exactly. in that product and that launch, too. So it's, it's great that you have all of this knowledge um, to apply to like this space as well.
2: Mm-hmm. We uh, during COVID is when we developed all these new dips. And I think there's eight or nine of them, mm-hmm. and we went really fast like, really fast. Mm-hmm. But every single one of them we put through sensory. Testing, like control location testing it's called and and basically it's people who don't know what your brand is and they're tasting your product mm-hmm. as a French onion dip or as a mm-hmm. spinach dip, but they don't know anything about the brand. Yeah. Because we are like that's the highest bar, right? Instead of saying this is an organic plant-based product, it's like, no, this is an onion dip, what do you think? And then you compare it to all the other dips yeah. that have ever been yeah. tested. So we just, and, and I think it's the background that I have, and then our product developer also has a lot of history in product development from years um, in the cereal business uh, doing product development. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're able to just turn things and know, I know that the highest bar is going to be that control location test. So let's spend our money there and get there as fast as possible with things that we think are good, right? But who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows? It yeah. yeah. might not be good at all. Yeah. Um, because uh, you know we're obviously a little obje- uh, sub- subjective i guess <laughs>
1: mm, yeah and i think that really does speak though to the the strength and in, and the wealth of knowledge of your team because i know you, as you were sharing like you do kind of crave and stuff like being back in those arenas where you get to kind of meld incredible minds together but clearly like at this pace that you guys are going at and stuff to to bring forth inv- innovation even when is expensive during COVID, I think it really does speak to, like, the quality and the sophistication and stuff. Like, how do you tackle, like, a, the very challenging piece that is, like, educating your customers on the products and, and the benefits of, like, non-GMO, organic, and plant-based? Because, like, there is so much misinformation out there, and it is incredibly hard to steer through, like, the, the storm that is, the inner, like, the internet kind of cyber dietitian so like as the captain of this type of ship how do you steer your customers through through those kind of rough waters
2: so yeah I would say so first of all it's so important to 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 realize that taste is still the people need to know it's going to taste great it's going to be craveable so that still has to be our number one message otherwise we lose everybody so we really do try to focus on like it's craveable and Mm -hmm. organic and clean and and we take a position of we're not authorities like we're not Mm -hmm. the authority on uh, from like uh, dietitians can be an authority Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. on 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 how to best get your nutrients um Organic. There's so much awesome literature out there by you know just the organic um, uh, associations, for example, that Mm -hmm. we're part of. Mm -hmm. So we pull we pull our educational components from from science, from those bodies that we trust. But we Mm -hmm. also don't, again, like pretend that we're like the authority because (laughs) we can't be the authority in everything. So our Mm -hmm. focus with consumers is really we focus on. It's delicious. And it's made with ingredients you can pronounce. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, why do you need titanium dioxide? Like, do you need it in your kitchen? No, neither do we. Mm-hmm. It, that type of language. So it's, it's, and not tackling every component because we just can't. We're just trying to, you know, so again, like keeping it real, we taste really good. We do it with really clean and natural ingredients. And we don't believe in cutting corners. Mm-hmm. and and that's what we you know we try to express and i think we do a good job and i think we're always trying to improve the type of you know the, our communication to be clear in that in that way um, but that's like our our focus is on it doesn't have to be this way it can be our way you know mm-hmm. your way as consumers you don't make you don't make food with those ingredients
1: oh, no that's awesome. awesome and so where can we follow you on your journey with Mother Raw and what you will be innovating next?
2: Sure. Well, uh, on our website, for sure, uh, www.motherraw.com or .ca, depending where you are. Um, we have both, both websites because both have Shopify sites. We ship, uh, our, the place where you can see our full lineup is on our website, and we ship anywhere in North America. It arrives cold to you, so um, that's our promise. And then uh, at Mother Raw is uh, is our Instagram handle, so we're we're active there. You're going to start to see more content from me personally. I've been, you know, it's not my it's not necessarily my comfort <laughs> zone to be uh, to be uh, posting on behalf of the brand, but uh, we've decided that let's let's give it a try and and, and see if. Um, if people are interested in what I have to say. <laughs> um, so um, um, that's going to be uh, something that I'm going to be personally experimenting with that is very much outside my comfort zone. But um, as a founder, I'm often outside my comfort zone. So that's okay. Yeah,
1: that's incredible. Awesome. And we're so excited to follow more about the best, least processed quality ingredients in the, in the category. So thank you again so much, Christy, for for joining us and and sharing all of your wisdom
2: with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Thank you.
1: Christy and Mother Ross. story is, it's so interesting. What did you think, Soph?
0: Yeah, I think this is a really, really important episode of something extremely different than we've done in the past with other founders. Um, I think highlighting the the importance of rebranding and what that looks like. Um, Something like a rebrand, you have to be super careful on Because, and I think Christy did a great job at explaining this. And obviously Mother Ra did a great job at at really exemplifying this in their own rebrand. But making sure that when you're rebranding, you know, not disrespecting your core audience who helped build that previous brand before. So making sure that, you know, Christy mentioned that she involved a lot of her, I guess, original community and growing community in that process of being able to rebrand it and, and getting their thoughts and like, you know, really listening to their opinions and, and being super careful with every step along the way. And then also being able to attract new communities as well and new audiences by being super inclusive and And rather than having, you know, she was saying more of like a limiting name, but expanding it so that it can also attract different communities as well. So I think they did a really great job at like bridging, I guess, those synergies of making sure your community, original community is happy and excited and eager about a rebrand while also being able to, you know, keep the brand super inclusive and putting it on a really, I guess, like successful path so that they can attract a, like a growing community and different kinds of people so that's something that to me really stuck out that I did really appreciate that she mentioned how about you
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah like on that note it's I really haven't heard of a lot of other stories that have like Christine Mother Ross where the team in the community suffered such a deep loss mm-hmm. and then there was the decisions of like well where do we go from here because i think like you're totally yeah right and sense like it is an incredibly delicate situation they did do it really really well because i think the the other risk factor and stuff when we think of the rebrand is I think it's not just the loss of the community it's like how much more pain could actually happen in those growing pains like over the years say that they were building stronger and they were continuously in like uh innovating but you know it's when you're innovating away from that core mission and stuff, like there also opens you up to that opportunity of your your community or your team kind of re-experiencing the loss and those growing pains, like all over again. Like it's in in the game of innovation and stuff and empowering communities and stuff that that's not a game where you really want to play, especially when you have a playful brand like this and stuff that does want to simplify people's lives, not make it harder. Mm-hmm. So I think the other thing that would like really stuck out to me, from our conversation with Christy was really that, that transition and mm-hmm. stuff of her kind of reverse David and Goliath story and stuff of, you know, really missing like those really big tools and insights and stuff because I think time and time again, and as we speak to other founders, it's the beauty of innovating in like uh, in e-commerce and stuff or creating brands from scratch in this day and age is because you have so much data in insights, but being a scrappy brand and like rebranding and you're letting go of a lot of like the old previous kind of supports that you had, you know, like you do lose out on those things. That being said, I really loved her point about it being a gift in many ways because innovation is so expensive. And when buyers are more forgiving and there is more leeway to, to innovate, you know, like it's as an entrepreneur, it's incredibly encouraging to know that you have a little bit more of uh Length on your lead before, say, a big VC and suffer, or, or or your other stakeholders would like really win back when you're when you're essentially strapped to it to the cage of what data is, right? So like yeah. I'm I'm excited to see how far that they can push that, and how mm-hmm. far they can, can push the category in innovating before, say, one of these big consumer brands like come in and stuff and try to replicate what they're doing but it it does kind of make me question a bit more when i see a lot of the bigger brands when they innovate knowing how how dependent they are on data makes me wonder look well then how many corners were cut Mm -hmm. or how many decisions were made in order to get to that new product because they are they are held to a very different standard
0: Mm -hmm. yeah no that's a good point and um yeah, I mean, <clears throat> that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening and staying tuned and, and supporting us every other week when we drop episodes. So, you know, stay tuned for next time. You know where to find us. It's at hashtag paid on Instagram, on Twitter, you know, reach out to us, message us if you have ideas on who you want to bring on, or if you just have feedback, or if you just want to say hi. So um, yeah, thank you guys so much. We appreciate all the support. And we can't wait to see you guys next time when we interview someone else. So stay tuned. Bye guys.